This is day 204 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing John chapters 16 through 20. Lord God, we come into your presence this morning, knowing fully that you have overcome the world. It is in subjection to you. Your enemies are under your feet. And Lord, you are in control of everything that's going on. This world just seems so chaotic sometimes. It seems so dark. And hope seems so little. But yet, that's because we don't fully understand your authority and your sovereignty. Lord, so often we get worked up about how things are going on around the world, and we forget that you are in control. You know exactly what's going on, and you are allowing everything to happen. Lord, we just need to trust in your name and in what you're doing. Please help us to have that security and that comfort, knowing that you are sovereign over all creation, and nothing escapes you. We thank you, Lord, for being our God and for being our deliverer. Please bless the reading of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples then said to one another, What is this thing he is telling us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father? So they were saying, What is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he is talking about. 
Jesus knew that they wished to question him, and he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this, that I said, A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain, because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish, because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy from you. In that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me, and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father, and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again, and going to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly, and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things, and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming, and has already come, for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. 
For the words which you gave me I have given to them. And they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me. For they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition so that the scripture will be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, Although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. 
he said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these go their way, to fulfill the word which he spoke. Of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put the sword into the sheath, the cup which the Father has given me. Shall I not drink it? So the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him, and led him to Annas first, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest, and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where all the Jews come together, and I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them, 
and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves, and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death, to fulfill the word of Jesus which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium, and summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you this king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and put a purple robe on him, and they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus then came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law. And by that law, he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, and he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you, and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me, 
unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold, your king! So they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests and the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up 
his spirit. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, They shall look on him whom they pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb, while it was still dark, and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came, following him, and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again, to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb, weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, 
because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst, and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger, and see my hands, and reach here your hand, and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see, and yet believe. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. All right, so we're almost done with the book of John. We have one more chapter to go, but we're going to go ahead and stop for today. Let's go ahead and review what we've talked about. 
So there's a few different things that we see that we didn't see in the other Gospels, so let's make sure we understand what we're seeing here. So first of all, in chapter 16, we see beginning in verse 7 that he says it's to their advantage that he goes away, because if he does not go away, then the Helper will not come, the Helper being the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning righteousness and judgment and sin. And he describes the kind of things that he will do within those categories. So he says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, he will convict the world. Concerning righteousness, because he goes to the Father and you no longer see me, he will convict the world. And then concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. The ruler of this world being Satan. So the devil is ruler over this world. That's why he's also been referred to by Jesus as being the God, lowercase g, of this world. So he has his fun for now, but he's not going to have it for long. But we also need to understand that he is not supreme ruler of this planet. Jesus is the supreme ruler of this planet. However, for reasons that we may not fully understand, he is allowing Satan to do what he wants to do on the earth. For whatever reason, he is allowing Satan to do as he pleases during this time. But he's still within limits. He still needs permission from God. So it's not that he is without any sort of accountability. God is still over him and is completely sovereign over everything that he's doing. I'm not saying that he's okay with what he's doing or accepting of what he's doing as being godly, but rather there are different kinds of will that exist within God. There is his permissive will, things that he allows that are not his perfect will, but he still allows them to happen. And I guess the best way to describe it would be that it is still within God's plan to where it's not going to interrupt what he already has planned. So he allows these things to happen, or they are the catalyst to cause what God wants to happen. So, because we know that from the book of Genesis, right? When Joseph said, what you intended for me is evil, God intended for good to bring about the present result, the preservation of many lives. So sometimes God allows evil to happen for his good purpose. So we don't know exactly why Satan is allowed to do what he does, but we have to trust that God knows exactly what he's doing. But this is why the Holy Spirit is to come, and he is to convict the world. He is not going to judge the world. Jesus is going to judge the world, and he returns. But in the meantime, he is going to convict the world. And then those who are going to receive the Holy Spirit will also be convicted with themselves, not only as to identify God's standard for sin, to feel that conviction that God wants us to feel regarding sin in the world, within ourselves and outside of us, but he also is going through the process of sanctification within us, the process of making us more and more holy, conformed to the image of Christ. None of that would happen if Christ never left, according to him. 
So it is to our advantage because Christ is, while he's, he is God, he is still one man. And so the Holy Spirit is divided and given to all who receive Jesus Christ. So he has a worldwide presence rather than Jesus just having a local presence at the time. Then in verse 12, Jesus says that, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now, meaning that you can't handle them now. You won't understand if I explain it to you. So I will wait to tell you until after the resurrection so that you'll fully understand what I mean. So there are some things that he did not disclose, but he also mentions that the Holy Spirit does not speak on his own initiative, but rather that he repeats whatever God is telling him to say. So that's why the voice of the Holy Spirit within us is so trustworthy, is that he speaks exactly the words of God. He is God, the Holy Spirit, but he is also in communication with God the Father and the Son. So everything we hear from all three of the Trinity will be cohesive and it will all align. That's why we have to be careful what voices we listen to, because so often the wrong voices will sound like the right voices. And the best way to test it is if it aligns with the Word of God. If it is a godly thing that is being said within you, then we know it's from God. But if it is not, then it will be from Satan. Demonic influence can still occur within a believer. You cannot be possessed by a demon, because greater is he from above who is not of this world than he who is in the world. You know what I'm saying? So if the Holy Spirit is indwelling within you, he cannot share habitation with a demon. So the Holy Spirit is much stronger than a demon, infinitely so. So we cannot be inhabited by both the Holy Spirit and a demon. But they can still influence you and still tempt you. So we need to make sure we listen to the right voices. At the end of chapter 16, verse 33, we have a very powerful verse to consider. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So really there are three aspects of this that we need to consider. So first of all, that he's acknowledging that we will have trials. Okay, that's that should not be a surprise to us. That because we are in a sinful world, we will have trouble. I mean that that's going to happen. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean all of our problems go away. In fact, they actually get worse because we're Christians, because the world hates us. Therefore, they make it harder on us. But again, greater is he from above than he who is in the world. The second thing to consider is that God will allow these afflictions to come into your life. However, unlike the problems of the world, these things that God allows are for a purpose. And the purpose of this is to, again, sanctify you, to train you, to develop you, to make you better. So sometimes we have to learn the hard lessons in order for us to grow as individuals. And so that's why God will allow certain things to happen to us. And then third would be chastisement, the discerning 
discipline of the Lord. It would come directly from God, because that chastening is necessary for our development. God doesn't punish us anymore as his children. He chastens us. He gives us discipline. Why does all this matter, and why do we be comforted by his words? Because he has overcome the world. You want to put it more simply, he won. The battle has been won. The victory has been secured. Christ is in control. Christ is reigning supreme. He won. So there's no one who's going to take that away from him, and there's no one who can challenge him. So if we truly understand that even though this world is a screwed up place sometimes, we also need to understand that Christ won. If we truly understand that, then we have nothing to worry about because God won the battle. Christ is reigning supreme over all creation. Therefore, he is in control. He is in charge. And nothing escapes him. So if we trust that, then we know that God will handle everything in the way that he sees fit. And we just need to trust him. Chapter 17 is referred to as the high priestly prayer. So we know that God gave that title to Jesus Christ, to where he is our perpetual high priest. And so he constantly is our mediator, he's constantly our intercessor, and he's constantly our advocate. And so in that role, he performed some of it before he was crucified. And we see that here, where he is petitioning to the Lord and he's interceding for us. He's praying to the Father on our behalf. And this prayer is not just for his disciples of his day, they're for us as well. So he describes here a few different things. For one, in verse 3, he explains what eternal life is. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So that's a definition, if you will, of what that means to have eternal life, to know God and to trust Jesus Christ. And then eternal life would come as a natural byproduct. Then he says this in verse 5, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He is again declaring his deity, that he has existed since eternity past with the Father, that he was the one that spoke everything into existence. And before all of this, he was in perfect communion with the Father and with the Holy Spirit for all eternity past. He longs to be back in that relationship. The Father's still with him, but he's not glorified at the moment, and so he seeks to be glorified again. In verse 11, Jesus says that he is no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. So the way that they have communion with each other, the Father and the Son, that's what he desires for us as Christians. He wants us to be in community with each other. So that's why it's important that we do not forsake the assembling together. We are to meet together as a church. It is a command. It is an expectation. 
It's not just something you do on Sundays. It's not when it's convenient for you. It is a command to go to church on Sunday and to participate in Bible studies. It's not because we're there to please ourselves, but it's there to worship God. So in obedience to God's command, because we love him, we follow his commandments, right? So if we were to do that, we would understand that it's not about us. It's about glorifying Christ. So we need to go to church. I'm not saying it's necessary for your salvation. I'm not saying that. But God has commanded us to do it, and if we love the Lord, we will obey him. It's that simple. Verse 14 is also an interesting one, a very profound thought. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. What Jesus is saying is that we are in this world, right? We exist on this planet, but we do not belong to it any longer. We are not of this world. We have been redeemed from slavery of Satan and slavery to sin, and now we are citizens of heaven. That is where we will end up going, no doubt. But while we wait for that time, we are here on this planet, and we have something that we need to do. We cannot participate in the world like we used to, because we do not belong to it anymore. So that's why he says in verse 15, I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. And the way that he keeps us from the evil one is, like he says in verse 17, to sanctify them in the truth. Make them holy with God's truth. And what is his truth? Your word is truth. The word of God is absolute truth. So just in that one singular verse, John 17, 17, we can say that the entire Holy Bible is God's word, and all of it is the absolute truth. We have to see it that way. Because if we have any doubts that this is not really God's word, or that it's flawed, or that it has issues, or that it has contradictions, then how can we believe any of it? None of it would be trustworthy, because everything is within a shadow of a doubt. So we cannot do that. God is far beyond us, and he is absolute morality and absolute truth. Therefore, everything that he has ever said is truth. We have to accept it that way. Anything less than that is a lack of trust, and therefore is an insult to God. How can you trust in Jesus Christ if you don't trust his word? You know, that thought contradicts itself, not the Bible. So after his high priestly prayer, we know that he gets arrested and then he stands before Anas this time. We didn't see that in the other ones, that he went before Anas first, and then he went over to Caiaphas. But there was one verse in here that really caught my eye as to how these guys have no idea who they're messing with. In verse 22, when Jesus said something that they perceived as being smart aleck to the high priest, then it says that one of these officers struck him. We don't know exactly where, but probably in the face. And he said, is this the way you answer the high priest? 
And what I'm surprised Jesus did not say is, you have no idea how wrong you are. You are addressing the true high priest, who is addressing a lesser high priest. You just struck the high priest. How dare you? <laughs> you know, I just thought that was very interesting that Jesus responded the way he did, even though he was correct in what he said, right? If I've spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if I'm right, why do you hit me? Right? But I just thought it was ironic that he said that to the true godly high priest. So then we know the story as well. He goes before Caiaphas, then he goes before Pilate, and Pilate does not see any guilt in him, and he tries to release him, but he listens to the wrong voices. He is more afraid of the people than he is of God. Even though he may have some glimpse as to Jesus being who he really is, he doesn't fully buy it, and therefore he gives up Jesus to be crucified. Again, it had to happen this way so that our sins could be forgiven. So it's not that. And therefore, things got messed up. The plan went awry. God's redemption was interrupted in some fashion. No, this happened exactly the way God intended. But Jesus didn't pull any punches with Pilate. He asked him straight up, Are you the king of the Jews? And he said, Yeah, I am a king. And, he, and Jesus said, I'm, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, they would be fighting for me right now, but they're not of this world. And so Pilate was scared. He got scared because he knew that he was messing with somebody who was a king. And, and from a purely political standpoint, if he was indeed a king or some sort of nobility from somewhere, of a nation far away, he didn't want to start an issue to where they'd have to go to war with Rome. At least from that aspect, perhaps he was afraid. I don't know about you, but whenever I read chapter 19 and I see a couple of times that Pilate is addressing the Jewish people, I see sarcasm in it. And I see mockery in it. Because you can kind of tell that Pilate just hates these guys. And he just says, look, puts him all in the purple, puts the crown of thorns on him, puts him before the Jews. Behold the man. This is the man that you were uh, calling your king. Here he is. And then he does that a couple more times. Behold your king! Shall I crucify your king? And you just see kind of this sarcasm, which I wouldn't be surprised with because he doesn't like these people. But what's even more sad is we read in, in the other Gospels that the Pharisees and the Jews of the day killed Jesus out of jealousy, right? We saw that. But here's the other thing. We knew, and Jesus made it clear many times, that they had no investment in God. They don't know the God that they claim to serve. But this is where you see their true allegiance come out. The part that they usually keep to themselves, they set it wide out in the open. Verse 12, Pilate tried to release Jesus, and they said, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. And then they say this in verse 15, Shall I crucify your king? And then the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So they 
just denied not only the Christ, right, but they blasphemed their own God because God has declared himself in his own law that he is the king over Israel. That has always been the case. He said it plainly in the law of Moses, the one that they claimed to follow. They, to Pilate's face and to the Christ's face, denied blasphemously the kingship of God over their lives and over their nation. So they, more than Christ, deserved to be on that cross with him. Christ should not have died at all because he's an innocent man, but it had to happen this way. But it's sad that these ones that are causing this to happen have no investment in God whatsoever. It's all for show. It's all for the satisfaction of the flesh. And we see it plain as day right here. We also see, as Jesus is on the cross, something that we don't see in the other Gospels is how he is a good son. He is still, to the very end, honoring his mother in his last final moments. We see that in verse 26. When Jesus saw that his mother was there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, which, by the way, John is saying that about himself. John is the disciple whom Jesus loved, according to John. He doesn't go out and say it that he himself, the one writing it, is the one Jesus loved, but that's who he is. So if you see this one, as well as when they're running to the tomb, the other disciple, that's John. He doesn't want to call himself out, but that's what it is. So he tells his mother while he's on the cross, Woman, behold your son, and to his disciple, behold your mother. Essentially what he's doing is, as the firstborn son of his mother, he is responsible for her care. And so in this moment, he is granting guardianship of Mary to John. So that I'm I'm leaving, I'm dying, take care of my mother. And mother, this is your new son that is going to be your guardian. And so he, to the very end, honored his mother. Now, as we know, he gave up his spirit. We have to remember he wasn't murdered, he wasn't killed. He gave up his spirit freely. It was only his to take and only his to get back. He even said that himself, that the Father gave him the authority to take it back. And that's exactly what he did. So when they came around to wanting to get these criminals off the cross, they wanted to break their legs in order to speed up the process of them dying. When they got to Jesus, he was already dead. And there was physical proof of this. And here it is. When they pierced his side, blood and water came out. This biologically, is undebatable proof that he actually died. That he wasn't just sleeping, he wasn't passed out, he wasn't near death, he was dead. The body does not generate water and blood unless you're dead. So this is biological fact that he indeed died. And perhaps a very beautiful thing that we see after he dies is when they are putting his body to rest, there's somebody who comes back to visit. Nicodemus. 
we see Nicodemus in verse 39. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. That is very valuable. That is such high cost. And for a man of his status in society, this is a small thing for him. But the beautiful thing is, is that the conversation that he had with Christ in chapter 3 did something to him. And he believed the Word of God. You can tell by him being there and anointing Jesus so heavily that he was a believer. He had a personal encounter with Jesus, seeking him out and learning some great spiritual truth. While he was not open about his belief, just like some of these other people, like Joseph of Arimathea, where it says that he was a secret disciple because of fear of the Jews, I don't agree that we should be afraid of the people of this world, but they were, and yet they still believed in Christ. And God still loves us, even despite our flaws. So we can't be mad at them for being secret ones, because I'm sure that we have our own issues too. But it was just so good to see him there, honoring the Lord, putting him in the tomb. So after the third day, then we see that Mary goes, sees that it's rolled open, which we've seen in the other ones. Then Peter and John both go check it out, and then they go back to tell everybody. And Mary sticks around, and Mary encounters Jesus. At first, she didn't recognize him, thinking he was a gardener. And it wasn't until he said the word to her, Mary. He had been speaking before, but it wasn't until he said the word, Mary. Now, it's very hard to understand this, on paper. But we know that there had to be a very special way he said Mary, the way that he would call to her with affection when he was walking the earth. That's such a way to show that his love for her was true and that he knew her intimately. Not in a sexual way, nothing like that, because there's these rumors and lies spread around that Mary Magdalene was his wife, and they had children together. The Bible never said anything like that, and none of that is true. She was a follower of his, but a female one. And there's nothing wrong with a female follower. And there were a lot of women that followed them all the time. And it says that they ministered to him, like they helped prepare the meals and took take care of him, so on and so forth. She heard the way that he said it and knew exactly who he was. Then he says something very weird. Stop clinging to me in order to like restrain me, I suppose. I suppose that would not be appropriate because he's not a man anymore, simply. He is the resurrected Lord, and there is no time for that. That is not the appropriate posture to have with your king. So she leaves and she tells everybody, and we hear from the other gospels that they didn't believe her until he appeared in their midst, in which he did halfway through the chapter. And then everyone was there except for Thomas. And we call him Doubting Thomas because of things like this. Because he said, I'm not going to believe until I actually see him for myself. So Jesus comes back almost as if just for him. He says, look, look, touch my hands, touch my side, and believe. And what does he say? 
my Lord and my God. He fully recognized the deity of Christ. So you want to call this the climax of John's gospel? Here it is. The Lord claimed deity throughout his whole ministry, but it wasn't until he resurrected and showed himself for who he really was in his glorified form that they called him Lord and my God. That is the turning point of all of this. Jesus didn't hide the fact that he was God this whole time, right? He fully showed his omnipotence. He showed his omniscience, knowing things that were going on elsewhere. He showed his omnipotence. He never grew weary of doing miracles. And in some ways, he showed omnipresence. But, you know, that one's a little bit harder to explain. But then he also did things that only God could do like forgive sins, and judge all men, raise the dead, things like that. So, he made himself very clear the whole time who he was, and it wasn't until he resurrected that it was finally fully accepted, and it was fully understood what was the significance of everything he did. That's what separates him from being a prophet, from being God. Prophet would stay dead. But God would not. And so this was another sign to show that he was really God. With that, I think that's a great place to end it for today. We have one more chapter of the book of John, and then we're going to go into the book of Acts. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.